Hallelujah. Jesus. Well, have you got a copy of the outline? If you don't, raise your hand. I want to make sure you have one this morning. I'd like you to take some notes on it and meditate. If you don't have one, just lift it up. All righty. We're going to get them. Keep them up until you get one and then put it down. Hallelujah. Man, last week was awesome, right? Abner was just so... He's such a good brother. We had such a wonderful time. The whole weekend has been really amazing. Well, House of Mercy this weekend also was just, if you're looking for something to do, um, Thursday mornings, just come. See Christine, we'll just uh, have an opportunity to minister to those that are in a place that sometimes they're just down and out. All right, everybody got one, good. If you'll look at the uh, outline, I wanna, I wanna read the first couple of paragraphs, kind of get us all on the same page. I've, I've titled the message, Defining Moments, Encounters of the God Kind. There are defining moments in every person's life that stand out, stamp us with an impression in our mind, in our heart, and they define us. These moments leave a mark, and they can be for good or for bad. If God's not allowed to cause all things to work together for good. That's why we at Global River Church promote prayer ministry to allow God to unpack and transform the bad and the ugly in our lives. It's in that James 5.16, right? I quoted this morning in prayer. It says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous accomplishes or availeth much. It says, Confessing your sins one to another that you might be sozoed. And that word Greek, healed, saved, and delivered. Interchangeable throughout scripture over and over again. There's something that happens. Now, we just went through 1 John 1, 9 in communion. If I confess my sins to him, he is faithful to forgive me from all unrighteousness. God doesn't need, Jesus doesn't need help from Tom for you to get your sins forgiven. He already paid that price by his royal blood. All you've got to do is make the exchange. So when you confess wholeheartedly to him, the slate is clean. But there's something about we as humans in our defining moments where injuries and wounds, circumstances of life come, where you get punched in the gut. You can't necessarily help yourself through that process. That's why he said, if two or three will gather in my name, Come together in my name, agreeing. Two or three things established by the witness. Let everything be established by two or three witnesses. There's life and death in your tongue, and you shall have what you say. You can say to this mountain. That's, I just defined for you, the elements or the basing of prayer ministry, where you come together, two or three. We need to be able to confess our sins one to another, because in the humility of that, I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of trouble confessing to Jesus. But you want me to go tell what to whom? That's called James 4, humility. Humble yourselves before God. Draw close to him. He will draw close to you. Then you can resist the devil and he will flee. There's something in that James 4 and 5. I want to read it. There's something in that process of prayer ministry where you come and you just, I've had people come. I, I got a call. In fact, you pray for me for tomorrow. We believe there's a, there's a, I won't divulge too much, but 12 years ago, 
nine years ago, did a prayer ministry on a woman, didn't finish, father kind of was in a hurry to get back to another state, told them that they weren't finished, she left and she's been tormented for a number, number of years. Mom called me up and said, I'm bringing my daughter down here. Will you please finish the ministry? We've been to every doctor. We've been to every circumstance. Please. Now that's what I asked you last week to read Isaiah 61. That the brokenhearted would be set free. The ashes would be turned into goodness, right? There's this level of freedom that's been prophesied over this house. It has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with him. So I pray for these supernatural breakthroughs that will happen in the lives. People that come and they tell me, and I, I've done so many of them now, I don't remember everybody. They call and says, you know, Pastor, I came and I shared with you things I've never shared with another human being in my life. And I was so free. Do you remember that? I'm like, man, I'm really sorry. The good news is I don't remember those things. All I focus on is what God's doing. And so, in fact, we pray often, take that and put it in a sea of forgetfulness because sin and that sin is sin and, you know, that's just history under the blood. I want to share with you about these defining moments. Second paragraph. I want to focus on defining moments in our lives that God uses. They become the encounters of the God kind. These are supernatural events that God uses to reveal himself to us personally. See, real God encounters can be measured by the impact of the person and the encounter Amen. and the fruit that the people then see that are in this person's influence of life. I often hear from family members that my father, my brother, my wife, my mother is born again because I see the transformed life that I now live with this person and I see the difference. That's the fruit that becomes so obvious. So I'd like you to take a moment. Why don't you just close your eyes just so there's no distractions. I'd like you to think of a, a major defining moment in your life. It's marked you. It may have given you more clarity or it might have even given you more confusion. It was a really big event that can be both bad and ugly or very, very good. And the question is, what did you do with it and how did you process it? You still may not be done with it. I want to share with you a story of a young father had a defining moment See if you can see a story of your own line, your storyline in this. See, this young father uh, married his high school sweetheart. They had waited for years. He had to finish college, got a good job. They bought their first house. Their baby was born. Life was good. But suddenly, the baby got really sick. Just shy of her first birthday, the doctors tried all they knew, tests, hospitals, special actions. They couldn't find out the reason for her illness. The devastation started to mount, the fear. 
the young mother, full of faith, trusting Jesus, had her church pray. The father, confused, angry, scared, feeling helpless, faithless, overwhelmed. He couldn't save his little girl. See, this young father's childhood was full of its own conflictions and uncertainties. The young father's own father had battled his own demons. See, his father had divorced, had a divorced father and mother, and his father went off to war and saw things that he should not have seen, did things that broke his heart. His young father, his father tried to medicate his pain with alcohol. The addiction nearly destroyed the entire family. But this believing mother prayed that her family would be delivered. The young father's brother was also disabled. And this young father could never see the goodness of God in any of this. If there really was an existence of a God, how could this pain, would he allow? He doubted God's existence. He challenged God. And set up an encounter of the God kind. In desperation, the church leader of the young mother invited them to go to a healing service. The young father didn't want to go. He showed up. But in that atmosphere of faith, people were being healed. People were being called out. The father was just full of doubt and anger and confusion. Suddenly, unexpectedly, the pastor singled out this young father and mother from among the hundreds that were in the crowd. He stopped his sermon in the middle and said, your child that you've been praying for is being healed right now. The father didn't believe but wondered. The mother and the small group leader, they agreed in faith knowing that God can do what he said he can do. The mother acted on the faith and the child was healed from that day forward. You see, that little child was then led to the Lord at age five by her now believing father. And this young girl, who's now grown up, is now a mother herself, and she leads worship in the church. Her daddy is a pastor. He left his job because he knew that he needed to help other people find what he had found. Still believing that God is a God of encounter and that he's good. You see, that young father is me. And that young child is Sarah, my oldest daughter. And that faithful wife is Ginny. And that faithful grandmother is my mom. And my dad and my brother became strong believers. And together they are with the Lord in a heavenly place. I've often wondered why this way, Lord. But I know that you're really smart and you're really good. Now you might ask, why does God do what he does and how he does it? I wanted to ask you to turn with me. See that number one there? Mountaintop experiences that prepare us for the valleys. These divine moments, God's intention and encounter. I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke 
Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And let's begin in verse 28. This monumental revelation, this God moment, this defining moment in both Peter, James, and John. There's a whole lot on this story. I won't, have to, I won't be able to unpack all of it, but let's, let's begin. Luke 9, 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up the mountain to pray. Now, you might say, well, what about the other nine? <laughs> Were they chopped liver? Why would Jesus exclusively pull those three out? You ever been in a place where how come God is, seems to be focusing attention on that one and not me? Well, maybe I'm the only one. All right. But there have been those times it's like, wow, God, they go up to the top of the mountain and as they were praying, the appearance of Jesus' face changed. It was transformed. Now, just stop there for a minute. It says, as he went up and began to pray, the appearance of his face was transformed. Now, later it says his clothing was dazzling white and he was glowing. That means physically Jesus' face changed. Now, that's interesting in itself, the transformation that takes place. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah. So you've got the law represented by Moses and you've got the prophets represented by Elijah appear and began talking with Jesus. There was a, they were glorious to see. They were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So you have both the prophet and the lawgiver talking with Jesus about his soon crucifixion that's going to take place. You think there was preparation for the journey, the valley that Jesus was about ready to go through? But he doesn't waste anything. I love this with Peter. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. They're having a prayer meeting and he falls asleep. Come on. <sighs> Peter and others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with them. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not knowing what he was saying, he blurted out. I, I love Peter. I really do. He's the guy, the, always the foot and mouth, right? Doesn't think about what he's saying. He probably says everything everybody else would like to say, you know? It's that like, what? And he jumps into this moment, and he says, we want to build altars. Let's build shelters, a memorial for you, and one for Moses. and one. For, he wants to memorialize this event that he's now involved in, right? But even as they were saying this, as he was saying this, a cloud overshadows them. Terror gripped as the cloud covered them. Get, put yourself in this place. Moses, Elijah, people they'd read about, never saw before. You know, he's not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living, right? They show up. He's like, whoa, this is awesome. Jesus' face is transformed. He's bright as glory. Whoa, let's build altars right now. And all of a sudden, comes in the cloud Shekinah glory of God and it the presence can you imagine the presence of God that came upon them all of a sudden is that reality of we're not in Kansas anymore Toto the reality of this and it says terror gripped and then the voice from the cloud verse 35 this is my son my chosen one, listen to him. 
When the voice finished, Jesus was alone. They didn't tell anyone at the time what they had seen. You think that was a defining moment in Peter's life, in James' life, John's life? I do. Now, if you pick up on this, you ever had these mountaintop experiences where like, whoa, God, I have such a revelation. And then the next moment, it's like, where am I, God? Where are you? And The next day, so they must have spent the night on the mountain. The next day, verse 37, they came down from the mountain. There was a large crowd. And a man in the crowd called out, teacher, I beg you, look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions. So he foams at the mouth. It batters him. He, he hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground, threw him into a violent convulsion. Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy, gave him back to his father, and awe gripped the people as they saw the majestic display of God's power. While everyone was marveling about what he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, listen to me and remember what I say. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of the enemy, but they don't know what he meant. It's significant. It was hidden from them so they couldn't understand it and they were afraid to ask him about it. The mountaintop experience why Peter? Why James? Why John? Now tell me a little bit about what you recall on Peter, James, and John. Let's, Peter, we know that he denies Christ three times. He goes and leaves his ministry and goes back to fishing. And after the resurrection, Jesus finds him on the shore and says, Peter, do you love me? Three times asked him. You denied me three times, but he asked him three times, do you love me? He says, Lord, the arrogant Peter is now gone. The one who said, I'll die for you. I'll fight for you. They may not, but Peter, Peter, Peter. In your zeal, Peter. He says, you know everything, Lord. Peter, if you love me, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Finally, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with this wholehearted love? I do. Then feed my lambs, Peter. Now we do know that Peter later prophesied, Jesus prophesied later in life, they're going to take you where you don't want to go, Peter. And we know that Nero crucified him upside down. The same day, it's believed by history, they chopped off the head of Paul. Nero was destroying the church. They were in Rome in prison. But Peter didn't deny Christ that time. He stood there and said, but I want you to see what happened in this defining moment. We do know that James was the first disciple martyred, right? In Acts, we see that. Remember James and John's mother? They were called the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. And she approached them. Every mom wants best for their sons, if they're a good mom. Said, Jesus, can you let James and John sit on your left and right? 
He said, woman, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the same cup that I drink? Oh, yeah. He said, you're going to drink it, mama. James was the first one martyred. John was the only disciple not martyred. Lived to almost 100. Wrote the book of Revelation. They boiled him in oil. Tried to kill him, history tells us. Scarred but not able to destroy him. Now I want you to see what happened in this defining moment. They didn't say anything then. But look at this. Turn with me to 2 Peter 1. How important are these defining moments where God brings a revelation of who he is and how it changes a life? 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. Now I want you to get the context of 2 Peter. This was written, they, they, the theologians believe, between 65 and 68 AD. It was actually Peter's last will and testament. Right after this, he's martyred. So he's now walked in the church. He's been all over. He's been this one, of a, a strong, you know, the story in the book of Acts where he went. He was called to the Jews where Paul went to the Gentiles. And he writes this last book. And here's what he says, verse 16. 2 Peter 1.16. We're not making up clever stories. Can you hear this old cranky fisherman? I love this. It's like, let me tell you the way it is, boy. That's how I get this. That's Peter. It's like, we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard the voice from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. Because of this and because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words were like a lamp shining in a dark place. I love this. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. We're saying this. Read the word. Get these prophetic words down until the day that you get your own experience. Verse 20. Above all, you must realize no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. You think that's an impactful moment? Peter, just before he dies, he says, y'all want to know something? I saw him. You can't tell me I didn't see what I saw, right? We'll often tell you that those who come with their theological discussions to talk to you about something, you'll never talk a man or a woman out of the experiential involvement with Christ. When, when growing up, I'm not going to discredit any particular denomination. I was told about cessationism, that God does not heal today. And that deliverance stuff, that all ended with the apostles. And then you're going to tell me that my daughter wasn't healed by a man who gave a prophetic word that says she was? You, you, it defines me. You can't tell me that. 
or the time when I went on my first mission trip in 2001 to Brazil and my prayer request was, I took mom, I took Jenny and Katie and eight of us, went with Randy first time to Brazil. Randy was not really famous at this point. He'd been known at Toronto, but now he's starting Global Awakening. And my prayer after reading Mark 16, I'm now a pastor, resigned from GE, one year in my position here at Global, it was the Vineyard, and I'm reading, these signs shall follow them that believe. Cast out demons. Man, I don't even want to look at demons. I don't even know if they exist right, right now. I see the book, but man, they lay hands on the sick and they recover. Now, no one laid hands on my daughter. A word was spoken and sovereignly God healed her. But I'd seen people have hands laid on and get healed. But it's not happening by me and it's not happening a whole lot in the church. So I prayed, I said, God, I, I wanna see your power. I didn't, I didn't resign from GE to mark time. I wanna see your power. I wanna see a city in revival. Before I die, I wanna see a city on fire for God. That's my request. That's what, that was my fleece before you, God. Now, what do I do? How do I do that? I don't know what to do. Randy Clark announced he was going to Brazil. I said, I'm going. I asked the board of elders. I asked Steve Mattis, the senior pastor, can I go? Raise the money. Took my daughter and wife and eight of us went. My prayer request is, God, let me see your power. And that first day we arrived in Sao Paulo. Randy Clark laid hands on us. Impartation came on me. I was instantly schnockered, knocked down, face planted, glasses broken, rug burned, spirit filled, overflowing. God, I don't know what that is. I thought you were nice. This isn't nice. I feel burns on my elbows. I got no glasses now. It was before my LASIK surgery. And God, if this is your power, you're showing me, you're scaring me. That night in that little church in Agua Viva, 300 people got a word of knowledge. As far as I know, the first one I've ever gotten said you to pray for the terminally ill and the very sick. I told that to Randy. He stopped the meeting. He said, everybody go with the pastor and his team to the back room. He's got a word. God's going to heal. As we prayed for the demonized, the broken, the blind, the deaf, the ones with HIV. Ginny was praying for Priscilla, crippled, demonized, cursed by Macumba, one years old, crippled. And after that deliverance, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, I don't recall the time is all. I saw my first deliverance and I saw the power of the name of Jesus to cancel what a demon had done to this little girl who's now was a mom herself and had a one-year-old child. But when she was one, Macumba Witch was paid by a next-door neighbor because her father had made fun of the neighbor whose child was disabled. So the father paid the Macumba Witch to put a curse on his family. And at one years old, Priscilla's leg turned out. She'd had numerous surgeries and she came in in her walker crippled because she was in such pain with her back out of alignment. And as Ginny prayed for her and then we did the deliverance together, it was all the drama and dynamics of what happens when a demon starts 
manifesting and wants to intimidate. The end of that prayer, Priscilla, through our translator in Portuguese, said, I want to walk. And as she got up with Ginny on one side of her arm and me on the other, her leg went straight. Her back straightened. Now, you can't ever tell me that Jesus does not cast out demons, and you'll never tell me that he's not a healer. You can never tell me by that experience. Those two of those things mark my life. My daughter being healed at one years old and this experience in Brazil brought revelation to me that he is real and he's a God who's good and he will do things that is exceedingly and abundantly above. God, show me your power. He did show me his power. And then we started going to the nations, one after another. Mike is, Pastor Mike is writing the history of Global River and the Vineyard. All week we've been interchanging and action. He's been interviewing people, calling. It's going to be awesome. It's gonna, I'm waiting for this history. Do you have a, got a title for it? Not yet, no title yet. But DNA in history matters. And what you do with what you are experiencing matters. And so when we look at these mountaintop experiences, Turn with me. Let's look at another scripture. Turn with me to John's gospel, uh, 1 John. 1 John, very back of the book, chapter 1. Now realize this is written in 90 AD, probably written from Ephesus, which was a church in revival. Paul's spiritual son, Timothy, is the senior pastor that's at the church. You can read 1 and 2 Timothy. We've studied that. And so here we are. John writes this. Now look at this declaring moment on the mountaintop. 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. We proclaim to you. We proclaim to you. The one who existed from the beginning. Whom we have heard and we have seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This is the one whose life is itself revealed to us. We have seen him. And now we testify and we proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy do you get it Peter James John James is killed by the sword probably broke his mom's heart John did not know that he was going to live to be a hundred to write all the things he wrote but he's the only surviving apostle at this time. Probably the second, close to the third generation church is now emerging. He's the senior guy. Peter's already been killed. Paul's been killed. John says, I want to give you joy. I've seen him. I've heard him. I handled him. Now, I want you to think about your destiny moment things that have happened in your life. Not all of it can be good. Some of those moments, but I do know this, that God does not waste anything. My issue with God way back when, when I called him out on this, is I've heard you're a good God from my mother, 
My wife's believing all that stuff about you, but I don't think a sick child is anything good about that. So if you really exist, if you exist, heal her and then we'll talk. That's the agreement. Now, I put some four-letter words around that on my way. And I just felt like he set me up. But I tell you what, there's a whole lot of good that came out of that. I know the Lord marked my life and there are people that will be in the kingdom as a result of that event. So is it okay? It doesn't look real good hanging on a cross crucified either. But there's a whole lot of people that are going to find eternity forever and ever and ever because of what he did. So what the enemy and what we see is evil and doesn't look too good, all things can work together for good to those who love God. So I don't care what you're going through. Well, I do care. But whatever you're going through, what we see may not be what really is. A lot depends on how you process it and what we do with it. Let's, let's move on. Look at number two. What's the purpose of these God encounters? Why in the world does God allow these encounters? Personally changes us forever. Your life's direction will become more defined. We want to leave the old stuff behind. I shared a few weeks ago out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, when Peter and them are fishing all night, nothing comes, <laughs> cleaning their nets, all done for the day. Jesus says, push out, I want to use your boat, Peter. And uh, I think you ought to push out and actually cast your nets on this side of the boat. Lord, we've done all that. We worked all night. <laughs> but I just heard your sermon, so if you say it, we'll do it. And then the boat's almost sinking with the provision of fish, which speaks to the heart of the fisherman, right? Good catch, good day. Peter's wife's going to be real happy. It says that Peter said, leave me, I'm too great a sinner but then it says he dropped and left everything to follow Jesus. So those divine appointments, those moments cause us to change our lives. 2C, it says we minister to the one that Jesus puts in front of us. Amen. Jesus gets off the mountain after being there with his father, talking to Moses and Elijah. And the first thing he encounters is a demonized little boy. And he hears the word that the other nine disciples couldn't deliver him. After the chapter before that, he gave them the power and the faith they needed to do what he called them to do, and they were not doing it. And he says, you're faithless. I gave you what you needed to accomplish what I've asked you to do, and you can. You make me basically angry. Bring the boy to me. You can read this account in Mark 9. It's more, uh, more detailed. But he doesn't leave the disciples there. He tells them later in Mark 9, he says, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? He says, well, this, was, this kind needs prayer and fasting. There's some high-level darkness that this little boy was in, and you need to be prayer and fasted on that one. What else is the reason for the encounter? Look at D. It tests the pride of the experiences. It is the power of the testimony, or is it the arrogance of exclusive greatness that we now think we have. Let's turn back to that same Luke chapter 9. I want to show you something that I thought was very interesting when I saw this. In Luke chapter 9, we'll pick up on verse 46. 
Remember the early part that they go up the mountain, they're up on the mountain, the transfiguration, the father speaks, the prophets there, the lawgivers there. They're so excited. They come down. There's a demon possessed boy. Jesus heals them. They're all wowed. Jesus tells the disciples that he's about to die, but they don't understand. And they're afraid to ask him what he means. So they haven't got the whole picture of this. And here's where they go. Then his disciples began, verse 46, to argue which of them was the greatest. Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side and he said to them, anyone who welcomes this little child like this one on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. He puts this little child, says this little humble child. Can you, can you look at this? Because you see in the next two accounts here, both James and John are talking about things. So I believe it's probably, I can't say this definitely, it's probably Peter, James, and John. They're probably, you know, sitting around the campfire chewing on some, and they're like, you know, we were up there. We were up there when, you know, Moses came. Uh, didn't tell them they fell asleep in the prayer meeting, but, you know, uh, but, you know, we, we were there. Where were you? you? You didn't get invited, but we were there. So obviously I'm the greatest. And Jesus, he's got to get annoyed. Puts a little child and says, you guys don't get it yet, do you? But look at the next two accounts. So here's prideful arrogance about who's greatest. Now we got exclusivity. Verse 49, then said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone, John came. John says to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. And we told them they need to stop it because they're not part of our group. They're not part of Global River. They need to shut up. They can't do that. We do deliverance. <laughs> because we were on the mount and the father spoke and we were there and you're the guy and we're with the guys, so we're the guys, right? And Jesus says, um, please don't stop anyone. Anyone who's not against us is, is with you. So you got pride, I'm the greatest. Two, we're exclusive. When God starts moving and things start happening, we're like, yeah, God's with us, yeah. How about this, verse 51. As time drew near for, them to, for his ascension to heaven, Jesus resolutely set for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan villages. Remember, the half-breeds, half-Jews, half-Gentiles did not like Jesus. In fact, they were not authorized. Jews were not even allowed to associate with Samaritans. Talk about racial issues. And they were not even allowed to walk through their towns. Jesus violates all that anyway. Remember the woman at the well, John 4. But, so they're going to the Samaritan. He sends a message ahead to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village didn't welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Probably thought this is a Jewish thing. They didn't worship on that mountain in Jerusalem. They worshiped on their mountain. When, now look at this. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? Jesus turned and rebuked them. In fact, it says in the King James, you don't know what spirit, verse 55 says, he turned to them, rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. See now, before a few chapters, a chapter a little while further, they couldn't even cast out a demon. They didn't have faith for that. Well, now we got so much faith. 
You want us to burn them all up? We'll just call down fire on those dudes. Now, so power without love, without discernment is really, really dangerous. Jesus says, look, it's not about your exclusivity and it's not about the murdering spirit because you think you have power now. You don't know what spirit you're of. I came to save the world, not to destroy it. So what's the purpose of these encounters? It'll test. I can remember coming back, running the deliverance tents in Belém, Brazil. We had set up, there was, we had all these stations set up. Randy and Bill Johnson had 20,000 people in the soccer stadium in Belém. They'd come to us and said, run the deliverance tents for us. We set up these stations. People, we had trained over 200 Brazilians to carry the demonized. As soon as Randy and Bill would start to preach and music would start, they'd fall out in complete demonic manifestations. The Brazilians, the big guys, they would carry them in, manifesting all of them, bring them to our stations, and God would heal them and deliver them. And Randy called us the armor division of global, of global awakening. And we came back from those just like, hey, Remember, Diane? You do. It's like, it's okay, but it's not about you. It's about the one that I put in front of you because all you really are are the gloves on my hand. You're not the hand. The savior of the world, the deliverer of the world is the hands. You just go where I tell you to go and you minister my love and you stop for the one. And if you ever get that out of whack, when God starts using you, I remember Randy ministering after Toronto and over millions of people were flying from all over the world. And one night he's laying hands on people and Randy told me, he goes, people are falling out and he felt this sense of, whew. And God told him, he shared this openly many times, don't touch my glory. It humbled him in such a place. And Randy's a humble guy. He really is. There's a true humility there. I'm going to finish. It says, what we get out of these encounters is we ought to stop and position ourselves. Look at number three. Position yourself for an encounter. I like in Acts chapter two, before the Holy Spirit came in Pentecost, last week was Pentecost Sunday, and that scripture stood out at me. It says, they were together in one accord and in one place. There's something about one accord and one place. I've listed a couple of scriptures there, but Hebrews 10, 24 and 5 says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Well, I don't need to go to church, pastor. I can do this. I can... Man, you need to go where people are hungry. Well, you know, God can find me. He knows where I am. Now, I realize you can go from conference to conference and place to place and wear yourself out, but there's something about being in one accord. That's that Psalm 133.3. He commands a blessing when brethren dwell together in unity. He commands it. He, he overshadows a blessing when they come together. That's why when there's division in a family or there's division in a church or there's division in a, in a business, it doesn't function well. There's a spirit there. But when that spirit is broken and there's a oneness and there's a one accord and they're praying, God, well, you told us to come and wait for the Holy Spirit, the gift from heaven. We don't know what that is, but we're here. 120 of them get 
Spirit-filled. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's Luke 11, 11, 9 there. You might read that. It says, if evil fathers can give good gifts to the children, how much more would your heavenly Father give Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to ask the Father. Go look at that scripture and meditate on it. In the, Randy's talked about this, but in the tarrying days, they would tarry for weeks and months. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. We were just in Nepal and some of our uh, students there, our, our young ladies, said they've been praying for the Holy Spirit to come. And I showed the video in our, both of our GRC Connect meeting and also showed it here briefly. When the Holy Spirit fell in the meetings, when we came and we had the, what we call fire tunnels, they call them fire encounters. No. Anyway, was it a fire encounter? <laughs> yeah, fire tunnel's good. The Holy Spirit shows up and they get baptized in the Holy Ghost. They were tarrying, waiting, asking God for the baptism. And you see the Holy Spirit come on them. In that little church that wasn't even finished in Moses' place there, right outside the, the, the temple, golly, God showed up with such power. Surrender the Holy Spirit. That's why tonight, the baptism, water baptism, and then spirit baptism. How about putting you in your place, putting yourself in a stretch moment? When you pray for people, well, that, that's not me. I'm, I'm not really bold. Where does it say when you get bold, do it? He said, you shall do greater things. Tom said it, right? In John 14, you're going to do the works of Christ. Come to House of Mercy. Go on a mission trip. Go to the tent. Become part of the ministry team. Get trained, do street ministry, do outreaches, go to boots on the ground. There's lots of, you don't have to go to China or go to Nepal and the Himalayas with us. You can do this right here. Because when you do that, here's what's gonna happen. When you stop for the one, when Jesus came off the mountain, he could have declared, everybody, I've seen Moses and Elijah. I got good news for you. And many of us would have been tempted to say, you're not gonna believe the experience we just had. He didn't say anything. Right? Come on. What? He stopped for the one, the demonized little boy. The woman at the well, John 4, who then becomes the one who leads many Samaritans to the Lord. The demoniac at the Gerizines gets off the boat. They were afraid. He becomes the one who leads three cities to the Lord. The woman with the issue of blood. How about the crippled man at Gate Beautiful when Peter and John how many times did Jesus walk by Gate Beautiful headed to the temple and did not heal the man? And then Peter and John, stop, I don't have gold, but I got this. Rise up and it causes 3,000 people to get saved in one day as a result of that power encounter. So let's finish. I'm just gonna summarize. It says, one, surrender your life so you can go free. Die to yourself so you can actually live. Get water baptized and get spirit baptized. And if your flame is semi out, go find a place to stoke it with Jesus. Come to the burns, get in the word, turn off the TV, get quiet with Jesus. Position yourself to be encountered. Go where people are hungry. Come to wildfire school at night. You're gonna find, we're gonna have a bunch of hungry young college and career folks here. They are a while, there's a reason my, my wife is wildfire. Do we even, what, what is that? Wildfire, that sounds pretty wild. Don't you want like, like nice fire or 
Holy, holy fire. I didn't name it. I'm just saying they're going to, they are encounters. Stop for the one. So let's stand. Ministry team, would you please come and divine encounters. I'm going to pray that God is going to help you process some of the encounters you've already had, but I believe that God's going to set up some more encounters. (laughs) So Lord, I pray right now that your people would come to the revelation knowing beyond any shadow of doubt. They'll be able to write their own storyline. I was there and I saw him, I heard him. I was there when he healed the sick, when he took the broken heart and made it whole, when he restored the child that was addicted. I was there, I got the privilege to pray. So Lord, I pray right now for divine encounters. God, we, I'm not just gonna preach this message and say, oh, that good, I hope I tickled the ears. No, God, I'm asking for Holy Spirit motivated encounters. That they'll know, that they'll know, that they'll know. We just had a moment. Maybe it was God speaking to us. My wife read to me out of 1 Kings 19 when Elijah was on the mountain and the earth was shaking and rattling and rolling and lightning and thunder, but it was the small voice. There was all this activity in the natural, going all the chaos of the natural world, but it was the voice of God in the small place that Elijah heard. So God, I ask you to sort out for all of your people here. Shut off the noise, all the distractions, all the hindrances. And Lord, let them have clarity of dreams and visions. We're going to have dream interpretation. Pastor Mike and Amber are going to teach this after the summer. We're going to see dream interpretation. I've been praying right now, encounters in the, in the supernatural realm of dreams and visions. Lord, that their eyes would be open to see the angelic. I've, I've never seen it, but I know when angels have been present, I feel their presence. And I've been in some dangerous places that I don't know how in the world we ever got out of it unless for them. So Lord, I'm asking for supernatural encounters. Lord, let your mercy fall and let it be for your glory. Not so that we feel exclusive. Not so that we can brag or have a moment to brag about an encounter or to get some weird power trip, God. So Lord, I pray right now, you receive the glory and you advance your kingdom in the likes of us now, God. So I pray a covering and a protection over tonight, over the baptism, over the burn, over the encounters. I pray for marriages this morning. I feel this morning, some of you came in with a heavy heart over marriages, relationships that have been somewhat battered. I see, in fact, bruises from the words and the things that have been said. God wants to just release like we did this morning. Maybe some of you prayed for your spouse to forgive them. I pray right now that that word, Lord, goes forth and transforms marriages. And I thank you, Lord, that you're faithful.